It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Plodcast, a weekly adventure in the countryside from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name's Fergus Collins and I'm your host. Coming towards the end of our lovely season of mindful escapes into nature. And after last week's trip to New Zealand, we're back in the UK, in Leeds specifically, to meet Dr Amir Khan. Amir is a well-known GP and TV doctor, but has recently been appointed president of the RSPB. So we sent Plodcast regular Annabelle Ross to meet up with the doctor to talk about his new role and discover how important the link between nature and our health really is. And later join me, Annabelle, and the podcast team in the studio to talk about some of the themes that they raised and to review the first episode of Sir David Attenborough's new series, Wild Isles. Right, we are in a place called Golden Acre Park, uh, which is not far from where I live in Leeds. Uh, and uh, at the moment, we're walking through a very lovely woodland which is just coming to life i think because it's hey we're heading into spring uh, and things are sprouting i think is probably the <laughs> the best word for it and it's quite nice <laughs> and you is this somewhere you said you try and come every day yeah so i i like to run before work it's the only time i actually have because i finish work so late but i uh, i we we come here we have a run every morning uh, in this woodland with our head torches at the moment but once summer comes you know it'll be nice and uh, and there's a little lake at the top uh, we run through that and well run around it and uh, yeah it's really lovely up there actually because when you run through the same place every day, you see the changes through the year. Uh, and in that lake, you know, there's there's um, a family of swans that have signets every single year, which is lovely to see. And you see them in their cute kind of little grey phase and then growing and then that point where the parents kick them out, <laughs> which I think we've all been through ourselves, haven't we, really? <laughs> I know, that's really lovely that you can watch it all happening. So, But that's the interesting thing as well, is that you talk about you come for a run most days, OK, admittedly with your head torches on at this time of year, but so here was one of my first questions to you, is that I'm trying to remember now all the things that you've achieved so far in your life. So... You are a presenter, a television presenter on two, possibly three programmes? Uh, just the two at the moment, Good Morning Britain and Lorraine. But yeah. There was one other one about the doctor, we'll see. see. Ah, there's, so I do other shows on Channel 5, so I've got Cheapies Behind Closed Doors uh, and You Are What You Eat. And Okay, yeah. though, so there's a sort of series, is, but yes. you're main, you still do Lorraine and Good Morning Britain. And, then, and you've written a book yeah. and you sometimes lecture at, Le- at Leeds University and Bradford University yeah, yeah. and 
apparently you're a GP. Uh, yes, that's my main job. I'm still a full-time GP. Uh, and, I, and, and what's quite nice about that is, you know, I'm a full-time GP and the practice that, that's like the one constant. It's the same practice I've been working at for the best part of 14 years. Uh, and that's kind of what steadies the ship. So I can do all those things. Uh, the work I do at the universities is part of that because I'm training medical students and other healthcare students which is which is nice uh, uh but yeah everything else is kind of bolted onto that one centerpiece but um and also you aside from your your medical career you've got um your you've recently been made congratulations president of rspb yeah and you're an ambassador for wildlife trust the vice president for the wildlife trusts vice president <laughs> yeah. For the wildlife trust. yeah so um you've got that going on as well and we the general public we get the impression that gps are just so busy that any spare time they'll, <laughs> they'll probably be sleeping yeah so what's your <laughs> magic secret what's your secret well, I've learned to survive without any sleep, but actually, what I mean, those roles are, they're so flexible around what I can do. Uh, and a lot of it is is done in either on weekends or the one day off I have a week or, um, or in my annual leave. So I can kind of make it work around there. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the things we've learned most recently is that you can do a lot of stuff remotely now. So a lot of that thing, you know, the, the meetings I go to and the conversations I have, a lot of it I can do remotely, which, which makes things a lot easier. Because I live in Leeds and a lot of this stuff takes place down in London and I can't go to and from London that often because I've got patients to see. So I can do it, do it from here, which is so helpful. So you see patients sort of five days a week? Four days. So I see patients four days a week uh, and then the rest of the time I'm busy doing other things mainly visiting my mother <laughs> but aside from that i can do other other things like the rspb and the wildlife trust stuff so you'll be in real trouble with your mum if she's not a major part of your oh routine. my god so when i said you know like the gp stuff is the stuff that's fixed actually that's not true it's the visits to my mum through the week that are the absolute fixture that cannot be moved <laughs> under any circumstances oh, i think that's really sweet um so the where you are now with the wildlife work, where did that all start? Do you remember where it all started, where you thought, oh, I'm quite, I'm quite interested in that bird or that squirrel or that, you know, is it one of those, I was a little boy? And where did it come from? <laughs> kind of, yeah. It came from my dad, who's not with us anymore. Uh, and he was really interested in wildlife. He, again, we didn't have a garden growing up. We grew up in, you know, in, in, in the centre of Bradford uh, and he was a bus driver. So, so he worked full time as well. Uh, but he used to come home and the only television he watched were, were nature documentaries and that was it. Uh, and that kind of spurred me on to watch them as well. And it was really interesting. And then he got poorly when I was quite young. Uh, and we used to, when he was well enough, go out to parks like this uh, and look at nature. Uh, but when he wasn't well enough, I would go out and then tell him about what I'd seen. And that connection was really nice. And then, you know, just having that with him was really special and when he passed away it was something I liked to continue because it it reminded me of him and it still does uh, but actually when going into medicine and learning about the science of the benefits of spending time in nature that's kind of galvanized all of that I'm out of breath because we're walking slightly uphill <laughs> Okay, no, I'm so glad you said that. That means we can slow down and I don't have to oh, pretend. Um, are we going into that field We're or around the path? Okay, lovely. Right way. Um, so this is really interesting. So you're saying that when you were learning medicine, 
you also learnt or understood the power of nature um, for our health. I mean, that wasn't on the curriculum. Was it's, it? it's not on the curriculum, no. But but what I knew was, you know, from my own experience, I felt better for being outside, and so extra kind of beyond what I was learning at medical school about the conventional kind of medicine that we practice today, which is really important and correct. I was learning in my own time about the science that, that there is about what physiological changes go on inside of us when we spend time in nature and why we feel better for it. Can you, can you explain? Them yes. I think that's the thing is we're told constantly now, particularly, and obviously because of lockdown, oh, you must get out into nature because it's really good for you. But I don't think we've ever really actually got the details yeah. of what's going on when we're out in nature. Should we carry on? Yeah, let's do it. So evolutionary, it does, it does make sense. So when, when, you know, back with our ancestors, when we were looking for places to settle, actually being around things like bird songs suggested that these were safer areas and there weren't many predators around because if, if those kind of animals can settle there, it's a safer place for us to settle. But actually our physiological bodies and, and, and things that go on inside of us are, are tuned into nature as well. So we know about, about natural light, you know, when we're outside, it affects something called our circadian rhythm, which is our internal body clock. And that in itself will help you sleep. So the more natural light you get through the day, the better tuned into the day and night cycles your body is and the better sleep you'll get. But actually it's beyond that. So when we're outside, right now we're outside and one of the hormones in our blood uh, called cortisol, which is our stress hormone, will be lowering down because, because the chemicals that are given off by plants trigger that lowering of the cortisol levels yeah <laughs> yes no yeah and so so that brings our heart rate down it brings our blood pressure down we automatically feel calmer but also our brain chemicals dopamine serotonin they go up when we're in nature so we start to feel happier too and safer and that is why we we like to spend time out here okay a lot of it is to do with safety as you were saying yeah um, you know because of our um because of where we come from yeah um but and so okay so if you're encouraging your patients and everybody else we're talking to to get out into nature does it mean we can just sort of walk around the block so any nature is good for you uh, uh but what the studies have shown that spending two hours or more in nature a week uh is probably what's going to get you those beneficial uh, effects. I find that's a little bit too prescriptive. I don't want to say to someone, go and spend a minimum of two hours out there a week. Anything is better than nothing. You know, those those physiological changes will take place even if you're looking at nature. You don't have to be physically active in nature. You just have to go out there and look at nature and immerse yourself in it. And I think that's the key. It's not just a case of, we'll go for a walk and talk around the park. Really immerse yourself in, in nature. Listen to the listen to the bird song, be aware of the grass that's growing, the leaves that are out there. It's about being mindful in nature and that is when you really start to get the health benefits. Oh, that's almost like we need to kind of do a bit more of it on our own because most of us like to go out with friends and chat all the way, but maybe that's not the best thing to be doing. You can do that as well because our bodies will take care of themselves. So just being out here, you know, our bodies will know that's happening and you'll get those benefits. But being mindful in nature is really good for your mental health. And one thing I always say to, to anyone, certainly if I'm going out in nature uh, with my friends, is no phones, absolutely no phones. You've got to be present in that moment. 
the phones usually come out when they want to take photographs, don't they? So even yeah. that, you're saying no, just just. No, leave. I think I think that's okay because because you know one way to encourage people to get outside in nature is is to take photographs and uh, of what they've seen so they can look at them later and and actually compare it to what's happening perhaps if they visit the same place again. So so that is fine, but I think the constant kind of scrolling because you can walk and scroll and talk on your phone and you're not paying attention to what's going on around you and and I think you know if you really really want to get the health benefits of nature and there are so many of them because we're normally physically active when we're outside as well and that's good for your heart health uh all of that is about being present and and paying attention and you enjoy it more when you do that as well have you seen the evidence of this working with some of your patients that you might have said to them, look, can you try and do this and this and this? And then you see them a few weeks or a few months or a year later and you think, oh, oh, I can see what's going on here. Yeah, I think in theory. So when, I, when I'm talking about it with my patients, first of all, it's all evidence-based. Anything I say to my patients has to be based in, in evidence. And, and the NHS is getting behind this green prescribing now. So it, it's, it's kind of a part of what they're doing with the social prescribing side of things. Uh, and, and, you know... What what I when I approach it with my patients, it has to be the right time for them. So it can't might not be the first time they come and see me about a problem. But if we can get their symptoms managed to a point where going out in nature is appealing to them, that's when I will approach it uh, uh, with them and say, look, as well as what we're doing here with the conventional medicine, one thing that might help in conjunction is going outdoors and, and spending time outside. And most people get it. You know, there, there's very few people will say actually that isn't isn't going to help me because because everybody knows intrinsically that actually spending time outside in nature is good for you. Uh, and then we'll talk about what kind of things are best for them to do because it'll be different for everyone some people will like to do things on their own other people might like to be referred for some group therapy outside which can be possible on this nature green prescribing through the nhs so we'll we'll we'll, we'll get it right for them uh, and then they come back and, and talk to us about it and it's so lovely to hear you know that when they when they talk to me about what they've seen what they've heard you know and it it, it really opens up a, the consultation to a whole different level because because um it, it it's a different type of medicine and and that is is really important but it's all scientifically proven and that's key as well and this is more um in the realm of prevention um instead of cure isn't it because you're trying to yeah build up your health to avoid those uh, medications uh, uh, well a bit of both really so so you know the most obvious example is mental health. So, so someone might be uh, suffering from stress, anxiety, depression, and they may be on medication for it. They may be having talking therapy for it as well. And alongside those, <laughs> that is those. That was so yeah. musical, wasn't it? They are. They're very loud. <laughs> they are gorgeous. That noise. Oh, I thought something had gone wrong with my, my recording no. machine. It was the most amazing noise. Sorry. Yeah, I can't remember. No, where. I was just oh, saying. Yes, so you know, yeah. so they could be. You know, they, they may be having the talking therapy, the medication, uh, and alongside that, we will say, well, this will also help you. Uh, and, and, and it's not preventative, it's part of their treatment. And then also, you know, one of my specialist areas is, is um, people living with diabetes, and they'll be on all sorts of medication, either tablets or insulin or other injectables. But one thing that we know helps with lowering blood sugar is physical activity and the best place to get that is outside because anyone with any chronic disease will know that it can affect their mental health as well you know living with a chronic disease is really tough so spending time outside yes you'll be physically more active which will help manage your blood sugars but also helps with your mental health is your um surgery in the center of leeds 
No, it's in the centre of Bradford. In, so you, I think you may yes. have said that. But um, I mean, right? I mean, Bradford's not huge, is it? I don't no. know Bradford, but I've just found out that it's not huge. But um, as anyway, Leeds is pretty big. But you, one of your um, one of your um, aims is to get people who are right in the centres yeah. of cities, kind of having more access to nature. So how do you help those people? Because if you, you know, if you're right in the centre and you've kind of got ten minutes in your lunch break yeah. or or some whatever they're doing between home and work or what have you, what do they do? Yeah. So this is this is really important for me because I know what you know. Having grown up in the same area where where I work now, I know there's that lovely sound again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice. So nice. <laughs> I know the challenges faced by inner city people, uh, particularly in places like Bradford, which is socially deprived. You know, if I say to someone, actually, if you spend time in green spaces, you'll feel better. They'll say, well, I have to get two buses to get to a green space and I don't have the money for that all the time. Uh, so the key there is bringing the green spaces to them and clearing up some areas of inner cities, even if it's just a tiny corner uh, and, and turning it green and involving the community in that. And so we've worked with some projects. I've worked with uh, the RSPB and, and, and the Wildlife Trust in trying to get nature into inner city areas and that could be just turning a you know grass verges which are normally you know in, in some parts of Bradford could be filled with mattresses and old sofas moving them planting some wildflower seeds and just having a little bit of a walkway for when people come out of their houses who don't have gardens can have some access to some of that green space and I think that's what we've got to invest more in, you know, green spaces in inner city areas. When I come to London for work, London's full of lovely little green pockets, but that's not true for every city, particularly a lot of the northern cities. And and, and that's what we've got to change. There's a swan over there. Is that's, that one of your... That's one of... I can't see it. For, I mean, I can see the swan, but I can't tell whether it's the mum or the dad, no. but it's one of the parents' swans. And and the other ones are up on the um, banks of the, of the pond over there. But they had eight signets this year and uh, there's only two left because the others have been kicked out so I, it won't be long before the, the the last two get kicked out and they start start laying eggs again which will be really exciting <laughs> it's always sad when you see them kind of they, they kind of force the the adult signets out now by kind of like pecking them not feeding them as, as you know or bringing them with them because they're, they're quite a tight family unit normally uh your mom didn't do that to you no she no she still wants me back at the house <laughs> all the time she's like the opposite of these swans <laughs> i'm trying to get away <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Um, no, that. But that's that's nature. That's yeah. not. It, it feels cruel, but it's yeah. Not really oh no, and it's lovely. You know, uh, you know, it, they have to go forth and you know procreate themselves and create more swans, which is what we want. And then we'll have little babies again this year. This swan is used to me feeding him. This is the dad, oh, and over. that's why he's come over. Because normally when we come running, we have some sunflower seeds with us as well. And I'm really sorry, but we don't today. And he's going to give me his sad face now. Yeah. Look, that's. That's the sad face. That was <laughs> so. a real flirty. Little, mm, <laughs> well, what about me? I know. I'm sorry. I don't have anything today. I should have thought. I am sorry. Look, now I feel really guilty. Oh, it's a really sad face. It's a sad face. But isn't he gorgeous? Look at him. I mean, I'm talking about birds because of your new position with the RSPB, but you actually, you're 
you, it's not just birds that you, you're interested in, is it? No. Uh, so, what I'm most interested in is, is local wildlife. I think I think for for us to, for, for wildlife to uh, to thrive in urbanised areas, which it has to do now, uh, we have to make our gardens nature friendly. And that was one of the things I was really keen on when I moved into our house that we live in now. You know, we we revamped the garden, and the rewards you get for that are just incredible. My favourite things, they just started to wake up. We've seen evidence of poo on the lawn at other hedgehogs. So uh, so we've got a family, well, we last year we had a family of hedgehogs uh, uh, and we're hoping they'll come back again this year. Even without a garden, you, you can still encourage people to get excited about nature. Yeah, absolutely. So so local wildlife is accessible to everyone. You know, If you're living in a in a flat with a balcony, you can put uh, insect-friendly plants and flowers on your on your balcony, and then put a bird feeder up because they will come. Uh, uh, and if if you don't have a balcony, even and you've just got a a kind of a, a wall or a window, you can get those feeders that stick onto the window, and the birds will come, and you get a really gorgeous view, and it is so satisfying to see them. Okay, so no excuse really. We can all get. I mean, actually, apart from anything else, we can have spiders too, and we just need, need to not hoover them up so much. Definitely don't hoover up the spiders. Spiders are our friends, and I, you know, to have a, a little kind of a spider that with eight legs and all those eyes walking into your house—it's a privilege. I think it's a real privilege. We're so lucky to live alongside these incredible creatures, uh, and and we should embrace them rather than kind of throw them out. Do you, have you ever thought at any time that um, you think, oh, well, this GP work's pretty exhausting. I think I want to go and be a naturalist. <laughs> I do. I mean, I, no, not really. I do, I do get a lot out of my GP work and seeing, seeing patients. I think that there is a lot to be said about that and those conversations that you have with people. And I think it, I think it, there's something about that human connection. But the two, again, and they're not mutually exclusive. I think bringing the, 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 the scientific knowledge around nature wellness into general practice and, and kind of spreading that has been a key part of, of, of what, I, what I do. And actually, you know, the, the, you know, people assume that when I talk about that with patients, they'll just go, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But the vast majority, in fact, all of them have really embraced it, and it and it it, it, it works. For, it doesn't work for everyone, but it's worked for a lot of them. So actually, you're in in such a good position to be able to spread the word and spread the love of nature. And do you do your fellow GPs kind of do the same? I think general practice is so busy. We've got to remember that we we only have ten minutes per per patient and and patients uh you know they're wonderful but they come in with a list of problems often you know it, medicine doesn't take place in isolation a health problem isn't caused by just one certain thing there's it's a multifactorial thing and i think gps at the moment are really stressed Her patients are really finding it difficult to get appointments as we know uh and and so we if we want GPs and doctors to look after patients in the way that we want to we need more time and that you know if they had the time to talk about green prescribing I'm sure they would do it but at the moment there's just so much pressure put on that 10 minute slot that often they don't have that time. Presumably they don't have the time to get out into nature as well because they're always so busy so actually it's kind of a vicious circle. It is it is you know I think anyone who's working in the NHS knows how difficult it is at the moment Uh, and one of the things that hospitals 
are doing and can do is 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 bring gardens into hospitals as well for the patient's sake uh um, we know that wellness gardens are really good for patient care uh and for the staff's sake as well you know when they go on their breaks if they get a break spending time in a in a in a little courtyard garden is way better than spending it in a staff room yeah, yeah. Did, did you hear that, by the way? Do you know what that was? Oh, I didn't hear it. Maybe Sorry, I, really... I was talking. <laughs> um, I'm just not very good. Are you quite good with bird calls? I can. I can. I just didn't hear it. But yes, maybe if we. Okay. What have we got now? So there's a robin. Uh, there's a song thrush going on there. That's a crow. Crows get such a hard time the way you said that, but you're not. No, I know. No, you love crows. I love I, crows. I, I yeah, I know. You love crows, but it is funny because we do tend to do that. Don't yeah, we? I think when we're really familiar. Oh, yeah, that's a crow. Yes, um, but it's like, oh, we don't go, oh, and a crow. <laughs> we yeah, should do really because I mean they, they do come into our garden, and I I always say they're very handsome birds and they're incredibly clever. Uh, and I think with anything with nature, familiarity, you kind of lose your awe of it, but you should never lose your awe when it comes to to nature. I think we should all always be uh you know the, the the wonderful things that nature provides for us just by looking at it we should always be in awe of it you might you don't have to answer it but do you have a favorite bird uh, I, in this country yes i do and and th- we have them quite a lot around here actually we have red kites uh and yeah so not far from here there's a place called harewood house which was a success well is a successful breeding ground uh, and the reintroduction program and they've been really really successful uh, and we see red kites flying over both the garden and around here uh, uh, a lot and it's amazing because because you, you you have these you know it's we're not in the middle of the countryside but you've got these huge birds of prey which are incredibly beautiful just gliding over the tops of people driving and i think that's that's really incredible were they so did they um nearly disappear what happened yeah, so they were hunted, unfortunately, uh, to, to, to extinction, and then they were reintroduced. I think, if my memory serves me is correct, they got some pairs from Spain and, uh, and created breeding programmes. There's one up here, there's, there's one in Oxford, uh, and they've been really successful. Uh, and red kites are really important for our ecosystem. You know, the, uh, yeah, they, they, do, they do sometimes hunt live um, things, but the, most of the time they just, they just scavenge. Uh, and, and for for our ecosystems to continue we need scavengers and they're really important for that okay so red kite how interesting and they come into your garden so actually you're very happy yeah well they fly over the garden they don't they don't land <laughs> they don't they don't get they don't attack little birds no so th- there is some evidence that they can do that but they they, they, they don't really they they're after they're in, you know they're not hunters really they they scavenge so so they're after something that's just lying dead easy prey and if you if you had a choice of when you're not busy, um, if you had a choice of where you would go walking for wildlife, maybe in this area because it's where you grew up, or maybe further afield in this country, yeah. where would where do where do you really love? Where do you where would you say, oh, that's such an amazing place to see wildlife? Oh well, I love the North York Moors, uh, higher, uh, because there's the chance, particularly at this time of year and later spring, there's a chance to see adders. And, uh, and yeah, and that, those, you know, the chance, just see, I mean, I've, I've only ever seen them very occasionally when I go up there, but that is a really good place to see them. And uh, the colours, the eyes, uh, just fantastic. Uh, so to see an adder in the wild, even if it's just a brief glimpse, 
is is just magic. It's really special. Yeah. Well, that's um, it is very special. But you, do you get do you ever get involved in any campaigns? Yes. <laughs> when you do, you do put your name to things, or you do have you ever been out on the streets? Yeah. With a with a placard. Definitely. So so I put my name to a, to a number of things. Really, I, I, I am you know whether you like it or not, I am. Uh, against shooting uh, or hunting for fun. I don't think there's any fun in it. I don't understand why anybody would. I think there's plenty of other things to shoot that aren't alive or want to stay alive. Uh, And so I am against all of that. I'm also... You know, I I challenge trail hunting a lot. uh, And that's the practice of taking a pack of dogs out and men or women on on horseback and, and simulating a hunt, really, through scent. I think that is a smokescreen for fox hunting and, and that's been shown a, a number of times and fox hunting is illegal uh, but still continues in some shape or form. So I, I, I really am against all of that stuff. Um, and I don't think we have the wildlife to spare to shoot, to be honest. You know, we're one of the most nature-depleted countries in the world. Uh, we're the bottom of the G7 when it comes to uh, uh, biodiversity. Uh, so the last thing we should be doing is killing animals for fun. I think maybe the reality is we don't actually, we can't picture a, a world where our wildlife has, you know, almost disappeared. It's impossible for people to imagine, I think. Otherwise, these things wouldn't be happening, presumably. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's that hard to picture. It's easy to see right now. So people often go to the countryside and this is you know it's the same up up, up here uh, and I can go to parts of the Yorkshire Dales which are stunning landscapes but are incredibly nature depleted all I'll see for miles and miles and miles is sheep uh, and that isn't nature that's you know that's farmyard animals uh, we don't see kind of the, the 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 animals you expect to see in these in these places because they're so heavily grazed and intensively farmed that that we, we, there isn't just the, the nature just isn't there often I see more nature in my garden than I do if I go for a walk in the Yorkshire Dales that's crazy mm. it's crazy yeah um, do you do you take your mum out on your yeah on your <laughs> I definitely do so one of the things I, I talk a lot about particularly with my work with the RSPB is is access but also kind of widening access to nature uh, and making sure everybody feels included in in the nature space and that hasn't always been the case and I can say that as a as a person from a historically marginalized group of people and my mum you know if I take her out she's going to go out in her full Asian gear shawar kameez she might have some thermals on underneath (laughs) Yeah. I, I hope so today anyway. <laughs> but, you know, she's very visibly and proud to be Asian and her clothing that she wears will be Asian. Uh, she'll get the right walking... Well, I have to buy the right walking boots, but she has them on. And uh, and I'm really proud of that. And so when I take her out, you know, for her own good, because she, you know, she's getting old now, so she has joint issues and other things, but getting mobile is really important. Uh, and so so... I, it's really important to me that she goes out there, but it's also really important to me that she gets seen by other people in that kind of Asian gear. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the two of us together out there might make someone else feel more comfortable about being there. Because you think there is an issue around um, the world of nature being dominated by white. Yeah. 
definitely. And it's a subject we shouldn't shy away from. Uh, historically, you know, nature spaces have been dominated by people from, from white backgrounds. And uh, for all sorts of reasons, you know, people may not people from other backgrounds may not feel welcome there they may you know people access nature for all sorts of different things you know we talk about it from a health point of view other people uh, uh for nature is, is nature for them is, is is important from a religious point of view as well so we we've got to embrace everybody's idea of why they want to be in nature so they can access it remove any barriers uh, uh, uh but yeah I, I i i do think and there's you know there's there's a lot of evidence out there to say that you know nature spaces need to be more inclusive to people from minority backgrounds. So how do you how do you see that changing? Well, I think it's about seeing people in in nature. You know, I like gr- your mum, like my mum. <laughs> she's like a trailblazer. Yeah, she's going to lead the groups. <laughs> well, you know what? You know, we call it all our elders, aunties, and uncles. So, so uh, you know, I would love to see groups of aunties and uncles out there in nature. You know, taking a picnic of samosas and pakoras. <laughs> Honestly, that's good for everyone. But that's and, a great Asian tradition. Isn't yeah, it? picnicking is yes. a really big. Oh my god! Yeah. So we used to go out as kids, and uh, and my mum. We used to have the best food you know when i used to eat meat it was kebab sandwiches and and you know samosas and paratas and all of that stuff and and that's that's all my my our picnics were really and it was it was fabulous i want to see more of that uh but uh, yeah and but i think we we have to be really honest about uh the fact that it hasn't been you know as good as it should have been in the past and that way we can right the wrongs and make sure nature is for everyone is it happening? Is it changing? Can you see the changes happening? Definitely. You know, with, um, with even just on television, nature presenters are becoming more yes. diverse. Yeah. Uh, me having this conversation with you may not have happened 10 years ago. Uh, and, and, and having, you know, the president of the RSPB, someone from a historically marginalised population, you know, I never thought I'd be president of the RSPB. I've loved the RSPB forever, but it's not something I ever thought would be possible but here I am (laughs) (laughs) why do you think they did choose you well what what I aim to do is 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 make sure everybody feels that they can spend time in nature whether you're from a socially deprived background from a minority group from an inner city background or from a rural community you know everybody has the right to gain the benefits that nature has to offer. And when we understand those benefits better and experience them for for ourselves, we're more inclined to protect nature. Uh, And I think that's part of the reason. Um, I do think part of it as well is is being more inclusive. uh, And I'm not afraid to say that. I think that's part of the reason that I am am in this role. Uh, and, and, And part of what I do is talking about that. So, so yes, I think that's it. But I think the health benefits of nature have been a big part of why they they chose me. Yeah. And and on a sort of week-to-week or possibly even a month-to-month basis, what do you actually have to do? Or is it more of a sort of... Yeah, what kind of... What what does the role entail? So there's a lot of um, kind of advisory parts of it. Uh, So talking about any policies that that are coming out and how they may be adapted to suit everyone. Because I feel like I'm on the ground level. You know, I work... Uh, alongside people who who you know live real lives and you know my patients in particular so I know what will appeal to them and 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 what won't and what issues are important to them and what what perhaps might not be um but also you know there's there's a lot of um campaigning and and being involved in 
in issues, particularly now, uh, one of the things that the RSPB are, are really passionate about is making sure our nature laws remain protected going forward. Uh, and they're doing a lot of work on that. And that is something I'm really keen to see because if our nature depletes any further, our health will deteriorate and that will affect my patients. And I, you know, something we just can't afford to do from that point of view either. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm involved with, with, with that. Uh, but also kind of giving well-being advice to them about, you know, what, where they should focus things. And for their staff as well, you know, what kind of well-being things uh, are, are available or what they could do better to improve the well-being of their staff. What do you think your dad would have said to you about this appointment? <laughs> I don't think he would have believed me. <laughs> to be honest, I can't quite believe it myself. Uh, I think he'd be proud. I think, I think you know, it's, it, it, it's a big deal for me to be the president of the RSPB. You know, I play it down, but it is a really big deal because it's a huge organisation. It's a really important organisation globally. Uh, and, and being the president is something... You know, I never thought I'd do, but, but it's a proud moment for me and I know he'd be proud. Well, that's a lovely, poignant way to finish that terrific interview with Dr. Amir Khan uh, with Annabelle Ross. Annabelle joins us in the studio along with Jack and Hannah, our regular podcast team. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 That's fascinating. Thank you, Annabelle, for traipsing all the way up to Leeds. What a, what a great guest to have on, on the podcast. Amazing guest. Such an unusual combination of of um, someone who is a GP and a nature campaigner. I mean, extraordinary. Yeah, really extraordinary. yeah a real advocate. Yeah. Um, one of the, the first thing I wanted to talk about was that, that combination of nature and GP. That really fascinates me. And I know we've talked about it a lot on the podcast before is nature's good for you. And it's part of this, se- this whole season is about the sort of mindful the effects that we get from being out in nature. Do the rest? I mean, do all of us? Do you get that when you walk out into nature in the countryside? Do you do you find oh, that about? Oh, yeah. me completely. That well, actually, what I do if I'm if I'm in a in a if I'm feeling a bit low or tired or unmotivated or a bit um, stressed after recording this podcast, yeah. <laughs> I, I take myself off to the same woods every time to make me better. Right. And that's uh, local to Bristol where I live. It's Lee Woods. And it's very easy little loop that I do. So I don't have to think about where I'm going. I just go through and you just go through all the trees. And I feel like a different person by the time. I, it's only half an hour. Really? And that's, that does it for you? Half yeah, an hour. it's just that spot, that's, that space that does it for me. So I could walk half an hour through Bristol, which I always try and do as well, walking through town, walking through the city. But it doesn't do the same thing. As 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 Amir said in the interview, you know, it's not quite the same unless you doesn't have the same effect on, no, on spirit and body. Not really. I mean, it's better than nothing, isn't it? But it's. I mean, it's it's going to be good for you with your heart health and everything, isn't it? Your circulation. Just walking around anywhere yeah. might do that. But. but the idea of, as he talked about, being mindful in nature and seeing and looking at the trees and turning your phone off. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. Very difficult to live without a phone these days. But, yeah. Um, and what about you and Hannah and Jack? You, are, do you manage to get out? Do you find the same thing if you can get out and cure your angsts and work stresses by getting out into into the wild, or do you have other ways of doing it? I do. I find getting out, if, especially if it's been like a stressful day at work or anything like that. I think there's something about 
removing your there's there's always that thing of when you leave work and you leave work behind that kind of you have that feeling of you leave the leave the stress there which i think is one step i think when you take that like a a step further and kind of remove yourself from your normal surroundings so you're not just at home you're not at work you're not in in a town to get out you're just removed from sort of everything and there's something about that just sort of you escape for a few minutes just completely reset you you can't go and sort that dripping tap whatever like that you you just got to be there and be present and i think that's probably one of the big benefits so what are we doing to ourselves why are we doing this to ourselves being you know, living in these frantic places that make us stressed doing jobs that capitalism capitalism <laughs> <laughs> but also i guess the effect if you are living and working in a place like that the effect of going out and taking that going out into that space is more effective than if you were in it every day yeah, although if you're in it every day, you wouldn't feel the stresses, maybe. Or different stresses, I imagine. Stress. Mm. Well, I mean, some rural folk I know, particularly farmers, are the, are the most, you know, it, their lives are so stressful. And I don't think when you're out there, it's, it reminds me when I actually did have a tiny bit of land that I had to work and look after, it became a massive burden and wasn't a stress-free place, but it didn't do me a lot of good mentally because I could just see how much needed doing. And I think... On a grander scale, if you've got 500 acres and needs to be farmed, maybe that's the... Because the thing that calms me down about being in nature is that you have a sense of it continue, like it having progressed for thousands of years to become like this, and then it will continue to go for another thousand years whether or not you're there. And so that kind of gives you a real sense of perspective. But if it's going to keep going and you're trying to manage it, I can see how that would be really stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't get in the way of some of that thousands of years it's true an old tree it's been there it's seen a lot of it's seen a lot of change and wars and industrial revolutions and all sorts of things and it sort of just calmly goes on its way and that's probably quite a soothing thing i don't think i have anywhere specific wales i mean yeah there is there is there is a walk that i did all the way through lockdown and i have been doing since i was about four years old and I think the repetitive nature, as you were saying, going to Lee Woods all the time and like seeing it in every single different variation, you really get to know a space like that. There's something special about that, mm. isn't there? About that familiar, it feels part of you and you feel part of yeah. it. So it doesn't get boring. You're doing, it never gets yeah. boring doing that same walk. It's always different. There's always something new to see, but it just feels like a safe place. And yeah. it's really lovely. Yeah. It's the same as obviously at the moment with mindfulness. A lot of the sort of nature sound, don't want to like out our sound escapes or anything, but they're, they're really good and people really enjoy those as a way of unwinding. Mm. But then again, if you just go to that place, you've got the same experience you're hearing what you could hear anyway but also all the other feelings there that you can you feel you feel the wind you can taste the sea whatever mm. i think that just adds an, an extra level on top of that and i think it's all the senses yeah you've got to stimulate more of the senses because it's just the ears here we are doing a podcast <laughs> go out and have more fun don't all you need is just the ears just um the ear. one of the animals that i really 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 love watching in nature is an unpopular animal and it's the grey squirrel. Oh, okay, yeah. Because they're so entertaining. Yeah, they are. They're so entertaining. They're always doing something, or rushing up a tree, or or munching on a nut, or running across the path, and they're bouncing around. And people are so rude about them. Well, I think it's a really difficult one because they're they're right in the middle of. For most people, they're the only squirrel 
we now see in Britain. So for, 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 for listeners outside the UK, we've got two squirrels in Britain. We're a bit squirrel poor, actually. <laughs> we could have more. <laughs> what, some... like those flying ones? Well, hey, there's, there's, yeah. there's a whole load of yeah. squirrels out okay. there. Green Brown ones. squirrels. Green, green. Yellow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we've got two, reds and greys. <laughs> and um, the red is the native squirrel. And the greys from the Greys have pushed them out. And the greys have pushed them out through various things, mostly squirrel pox, which greys carry, and the reds can't cope with that. But the greys are just more adaptable. So most, so most people's understanding of squirrels in Britain is grey squirrels, and people, have, and some people are really fond of them. And then there are others who want to, uh, yeah, some people looking at you, Annabelle, are really fond of them, and others want to cull them. Uh, there's, well, there's like lots of grey squirrels. I like grey squirrels. They perform an ecological function. Well, they don't they, know what they're doing as well. Like, it's not their fault. No, I, I, that's another thing. That, that opens up the whole people saying animals are evil or have these cruel, cru, yeah. are cruel. Although we're going to come on to that because Wild Britain is, yeah. yeah, we need to talk about that. But just before, cruelty in animals just doesn't exist. I'm happy to be. I'm happy to hear other people's opinions on it, um, but it just doesn't. It's, they're not. You know, this is one of the things we sort of anthropomorphize, which is one of the hardest words that I struggle with. Grey squirrels. They are bad for forest uh, in forestry. Yeah, terrible. terrible. They are. I. I will find something else to entertain me and try not to. Well, but we're not going to get rid of grey squirrels. So we have to sort of accept that they have to be managed in certain sensitive areas, um, which might mean culling. Gosh, we've gone off on a squirrel tangent. Yeah, a squirrel tangent because I gone I, out on a limb. I, 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 <laughs> it's really gone a bit dark. Some people, don't some people call them rats with tails? Or rats tree, with tree, rats, tree, tree, tree rats. I mean, rats with and rats are cool too. Yeah, rats yeah. are good people. So all these expressions have to stop. I think yeah, you know yeah, yeah. because it just doesn't. When we're trying to support wildlife, and we've got, yeah, hopefully we'll talk about wild owls. But when we're trying to support our native wildlife. Giving them silly names like that is really not helping. Well, maybe helping. wild owls, maybe this is a good chance to talk about wild owls. We, hmm. we, it, it's, it maybe it will change that. It's like wild owls. Well, it's the first time David Attenborough, Sir David Attenborough, has done a whole series about U, the UK habitats and wildlife um, in all his time. I know he's filmed in UK locations before, particularly seabird colonies, which are you know globally important. But it's the first time... We've got this sort of flagship series. It's not Frozen Planet. It's not Blue Planet. It's not Green Planet. It's not one of those other massive, great sort of blue chip things. So we've watched the first first program between us. Well, certainly Jack, Hannah and I sat down at lunchtime today. And I mean, it's a good opportunity to, to review it, I reckon. Um, because I've watched it twice. You've watched it twice, Jack, yeah. You said you said emotional. It is. It is emotional. Well, so David Attenborough's films always do that. They always sort of tug on your heartstrings, don't they? Um, I uh, is that a good thing? Yes, because we have to be emotively engaged, surely, to care for this this stuff. What do you think? I found it quite emotional. There's, there's sort of two things for me that I think that got me. One of them, there was like a shot of just uh, like a woodland with just the sound of the birds there and i was like this it's the one of the first times i've just listened to it and gone there isn't like a car in the background there's it's almost like the same way as if it's in the jungle you get the jungle sounds and the little kookaburras or whatever and but it it was almost like a similar sound and you're like it's this that feels crazy i just don't think i've ever experienced that in my country i just don't i don't think there's i've been to a place like jack i'm gonna we're gonna take 
this spring we're going to go and find that for you because it's it, it does exist yeah and not far away but yeah it's hard to find it without the hum of some sort of traffic i, th- I think and the, the other thing that sort of got me a bit was again i think because it's focused on where i live it sort of hits you a bit more i think with because it's they're, they're all animals and stuff that are close to me i can get to them and i just feel like it's the first time when they go like there's only 500 left or, or so like that there's part of it that's like, it feels really weird that my grandchildren or whatever may only be able to see these things on this program if they if they went back and watched it because maybe by then some of these won't be around because of the way everything's going. And I think there was something about that just made me feel like I've kind of seen this. I kind of feel like I should I should go and see it in, in person. I you should oh, do something to help. Yeah. And they didn't. It didn't shirk from talking about the problems mm. facing wildlife each story had a little caveat that things i mean so, some things golden eagles doing really well and that was a brilliant sequence of golden eagles just flying around in uh, sort of in fact the other eagle story was the one that the most memorable story from the from the show which was a white-tailed eagle hunting a barnacle goose on the island on isla in the in the hebrides and that is just an astonishing bit of utter drama, comparable to any bit of wildlife footage they've ever captured, I think. Did anyone find that hard to watch because it was quite brutal? I mean, it tugged at the heartstrings. Yeah, but it's what's actually happening, isn't it? Like, these yeah. these creatures need to do these things to survive. And like you say, they're not doing it because they're kind of mean. They're doing it because that's no. that's how they live. Yeah, well, it's got to, the eagle's got to eat. Yeah, and you've got was, to be honest about that stuff. Um, <laughs> there was a sort of, yeah, there was a sort of <laughs> I just have this idea of the eagle going, right. It's grass <laughs> Come on, today. Lads. Which animal I can be really nasty <laughs> to today and rip to shreds? Yeah. I know. Because you. <laughs> we had this discussion about the dormice and that that we were all really pleased because, like, spoiler alert, no dormice die. But then we were like, well, what about the owl's babies? What yeah. did the owl babies eat? Like it's a whole, it's a cycle. Uh, well, yeah, the food web, yeah. I mean, so good to so good to say it like that because that just completely just destroys any kind of like oh, the poor mice. Ah, yeah. the baby owls. Yeah. So there's, there's a, there was a wonderful bit of footage of those uh, dormice oh. climbing up another tree. I have seen that bit. Yeah. That is extraordinary. And then the owl is introduced, but it may not have been filmed in the same yes. area. Yeah, they did that uh, very and so cleverly. There was a, it was a sort of the story was told, but it, difficult to kind of. P- Brilliantly told. Uh, it's and the it music. It's the music. So the owl swoops down. The music is dun 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 dun. dun, dun <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever. That's Jaws, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the owl is the Jaws of the. Video. <laughs> and then the and then the, the the mother the mother mouse you know goes back into the hole yeah. quite calmly. And we all like, had a sigh of relief. Yeah, we definitely did. Yeah. But, but what about the baby owls? Yeah, yeah so. we have to have a film called Beak. Instead of jaws, speak. <laughs> but you know, music is a fascinating We're thing. Not cutting that. Music, yeah. I think, I think, I think, I think we had to cut it because it was so unex- un- ununderstandable. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Jack. I can't help it if my wit is I, up here. I know. And, and some of your wit is so here. great. And so, uh, but that was just a moment. Um, you're, so how um, long has that just been sitting there going? No, owls, just, just case. Jaws. <laughs> yeah, okay. Any minute now, we're going to have an opportunity to chuck this in. On the tip of oh, his snout. <laughs> on the tip of his beak. Um, the, um, it's going to be so interesting. It's going to be so interesting to see what happens after this series, whether Skoma Island is just sort of panicking and going, oh my God, everyone, please go home. Yeah, I think go they home. do that anyway, but it's, I, think, uh, I think it's very restricted. They, they had to close, didn't they, because of bird flu anyway. But um, whether these places will be now inundated is that, I mean, it's got to be a good thing that people will go out and, and see these places. We find this with any content we create. People will engage with it if they fall in love with it first and then they will look further and then they will fight for it. And I think that without that falling in love at the beginning, people don't care. And unfortunately, I think lots of people have fallen out of love through what you've exactly what you said, Annabelle, about not being in contact, not having the ability to get out there. Not being told what to see, you know, the generations have lost contact with nature and understanding of names and can't name a song or a simple sparrow in the garden. This hopefully engenders some sort of, gets the ball rolling again. And then we have hopefully a little bit more, a few more people fighting in yeah. the neighbourhoods. But also going back to what you were saying at the beginning and about um, Amir, Dr. Amir Khan, is the social prescription. And actually, there's that as well, isn't there? It's like, all you have to really do is just go and find some green and sort of sit there if you can or turn your phone off or, you know, because it's doing you good anyway. You don't have to see otters or mice or owls or eagles or you can just really, really get the benefits of being out in nature. Well, we went for a walk in Bristol City Centre and Hannah spotted lots of peregrines for us once which is quite amazing. The programmes are giving you the best bits, but actually the bit that's probably best for you mm. is to just be there, waiting, mm. just observing, just be, being there. Um, well, a- it's not going to be, oh, there's this big event, oh, now there's a badger doing this thing, now there's a woodman. <laughs> that doesn't happen. You, of course. I mean, the lords and ladies, that's great that, that's great that they're doing um, sort of hedge plants. Easy to find stuff. Yeah, which is, yeah. that's really great. I love that because then... Everybody really is. Get, I mean, pretty much anybody can see that if you can get to kind of a lane. I mean, next time I see one, I'm going to try and look for it to see all the little, little flies, flies in it. In and it, I, yeah. even that now, that's just a little yeah. extra thing that. That's really yeah. That's so great. So yeah, that's it's got a good mix. I haven't seen it, so I have to be quite careful. I think um, that's quite a good place to leave it with the message: watch it, watch Wild Isles, listen to the podcasts. We've got loads and loads. We've got a, this is 188 podcasts we've made exploring nature and finding some of those brilliant you know some we have recordings of abundant bird song and wonderful rare things but also get out there as well listen watch and get outside that's the message from all of us here i think watch what you can get and then go and get it yeah so that's a great place to leave it a huge thank you again to amir khan for joining us and look out for him president of the rspb look out for him on tv as well and thank you to everyone here for lovely contributions join us again next week for another lovely adventure goodbye for now